Thank you for listening to Interviews. My name is Laurent Autain. I'm a business coach on a quest to crack the entrepreneurship code. So I thought, why not talking to entrepreneurs around the world and ask them to share the practical tips and lessons learned. I hope their stories will help you better navigate your own entrepreneurship journey. This podcast is available on most platforms. Subscribe now. Hi, thank you for joining Interviews. Today, I'm with Paul Baker, the founder of Saint-Pierre Group, based in the UK. Hey, Paul, thank you very much for joining me today. I know it's your first podcast. It is indeed, Lauren, and, and thank you for, for having me and uh, asking me some uh, very probing questions, which I hope I've got interesting answers for, for your listeners. <laughs> I'm sure. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm thrilled to be talking to you. Cool. So I checked your LinkedIn profile and on your LinkedIn profile, you define yourself as a master baker, a food scientist, the founder of Saint-Pierre Group, and as well as an executive film producer. I mean, now you have to tell us about your journey. Okay, so it's, uh, it's probably uh, an interesting journey in, in many respects. People are probably wondering, his name's Baker. Is he actually a baker? Well, well yeah, <laughs> that's probably the most uh, popular question I get asked. And, and yes, I am. I am a, a trained baker. My father and my grandfather were bakers. Uh, I grew up in a bakery, above a bakery, uh, in a small town called Columpton in the southwest of, of England in a county called Devon. Uh, it was a farming town and uh, my father had a, a bakery there and uh, he had that for 30 odd years and uh, we had a shop so we used to make everything in the bakery by hand everything from um, savory products to cakes to wedding cakes cream cakes all sorts of things so you know my earliest memory of baking actually was being woken up by my father in the middle of the night and uh, he got me and my brother out of bed and our dough mixer uh, had broken down and uh, he took us down into the bakery and we had these big wooden troughs which we used to make all the products on. He took the lids off the troughs and uh, mm. he said, right, lads, he said, the dough mix is broken down. I need you to help me. He poured all the flour in the trough, the water, the yeast, the other ingredients. And then he put me and my brother, I was about six. My brother was about eight. He put us uh, in the trough in our shorts. <laughs> and then he said, right, act like monkeys and, and move your legs and your arms and mix the dough. Right. And uh, that's what we had to do. And we did that all night. And uh, you know, very safe, obviously, it gets baked and everything, you know, <laughs> but that was, that was, that was my earliest memory of baking. Um, and then I went on to work with my father uh, in the bakery. I didn't want to, Lauren, I'll be honest with you. I try, I had a business, uh, I left home at 16 mm. and uh, went to work for the local electricity board. Didn't work for me at all. An office-based job at that point in my life wasn't for me. I wanted to forge ahead in the world. So uh, I set up a business doing right. um, coach trips to concerts, to pop concerts, uh, and coach trips to nightclubs. It was a rural area. People, you know, wanted to get out and about and further afield. And uh, I ran that for about 18 months quite successfully. Mm. Um, but then I got involved with uh, an uncle of a friend of mine. And he said to me, oh, why don't you do a trip to Le Mans, the 24-hour Grand Prix? Mm -hmm. And uh, so I said, yeah, okay. I, I didn't, my gut said to me not to do it because I had to lay out a lot of money. 
and I'd right. never done a trip abroad and all that sort of thing. Uh, and I underpriced it. I thought I won't be greedy. I'll um, just sell it out, make it work. So I did it really cheap, much cheaper than my competitors at that mm. time. And it didn't work. I didn't sell it out. Um, I had to run the trip. It bank nearly bankrupted me. I was 18 and a half. Uh, I was self-sufficient. I had money in the bank and uh, yeah, nearly bankrupted me. And I learned two things. Wow. I learned never, never underprice your product and never entrust your business idea to somebody else. <laughs> always, always, always stay true to your gut because right. if you're an entrepreneur, uh, you know, your gut always tells you if you're right or wrong and you have to listen to that because you normally know intrinsically you know so yeah so that um that set me back and that's when i went into bakery my dad threw me a lifeline and uh i went to train as a, a baker i said i'll only come and work for you dad very cocky for you know 19 mm -hmm. and i said i'll only come and work for you dad if i can train as a baker because i don't want to be mr baker's son who's just been given a job and uh, there's all these trained bakers there who i won't earn the respect of so i learned i, I learned the craft uh, realized I was quite good at it, perhaps unsurprisingly. Um, and that's how I got into baking, basically. Um, my father lost his business in 1992. Mm. There was a recession. I think that's one of the things that forged me, actually, because watching your family business, which you've grown up in and your grandfather and father have, have built, go, yeah. down the, do, go down the tubes is really very humbling. Yes. And uh, very, very difficult as well. And I'm, I'm sure that would resonate with a lot of people right well, it, now. It does resonate right with now. me and my, my father. Yeah. I, got, I totally yeah. see my father now. It's, it's incredibly difficult. And mm -hmm. um, at that point, I thought, what shall I do? I was quite, um, quite dispirited, actually. And uh, I thought, right, I'll go back to university and I will add um, food technology the food scientist bit perhaps in my um, life to my craft skills. Mm -hmm. And that was great actually, because I knew how to make all of these wonderful bakery products, you know, at a craft level. Um, but this added the science to it, the science of, of large scale food production, the science of food, um, you know, and all of that side of it. So I did four years mm. uh, qualified as a food scientist. Uh, and then I went into uh, industry and I started off with new product development. Uh, I ended up working in process development, uh, production um, of, uh, funnily enough, garlic bread. <laughs> okay. When, uh, when it was coming into fashion. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, I want, I'd always had a leaning towards sales, obviously. So I, I wanted to go out and uh, set, you know, test my ability to sell products. So I, I took a job as a, a salesperson. I traveled all around the UK selling ingredients to large bakeries. Uh, and then a friend of mine was working for a company called Cars Foods. Mm. And um, I said to her one day, I said, I really like your job, Muriel. I said, you get to go, you travel abroad, you go to Paris, you go to Brussels, you go to all these, you know, what seemed to me to be quite exotic places. Um, and I said, if ever you leave that job, I'd like that job. And uh, sure enough, she she um, she did leave the job, and uh, I was fortunate fortunate enough to get the job, and um, that's how I started at what was Cars Foods International, which then became uh, Saint Pierre Group. Right. So, um, and there was a key moment there, perhaps where I was two years in, 
where Jeremy, who was the finance director, came into my office. I was the technical and marketing manager. And he said, we've got an opportunity to buy the business. What, what do you think? And mm. I said, how much do you need? And when do you need it by? <laughs> <laughs> so you knew. <laughs> I knew. Yeah, I, yeah. My, yeah I, I think I'd recovered from the loss of right. my first business. And in all honesty, that took me 10 years to get over. Okay. Um, I really felt quite wounded by that experience. And that's, that's why I stuck with baking. I thought I've got to stick with something that I can develop throughout my life. Mm. Um, and, you know, I didn't think I would enjoy bakery, but I did. Um, and uh, I used to stand at, at, my, at the bench making donuts at 4 a.m. in the morning, an ungodly hour. And I used to have this sort of thought that, oh, wouldn't it be good if you could just travel the world selling your bakery products mm. and you'd get to travel and you'd get to meet people and they'd love your products and and it would be profitable and it would create careers for people and it was literally a pipe dream i didn't know of any businesses that existed like that in mm. the baking industry um and i, I wouldn't be as, as as um arrogant as to say that you know that was that was my ambition and I followed it through yeah I just took a series of opportunities really I think entrepreneurs are good at seeing opportunities and um, I think everybody gets opportunities in life uh, I think the only difference between perceived success and failure is whether you take those opportunities or whether you don't mm. and I think that comes down to your appetite for risk and it is risky as as we know to to set up a business or invest in a business or build a business is very risky and some people don't have that risk element that risk gene i do so um as soon as jeremy walked in my office i was in right. <laughs> uh, and we bought the business and that was about 18 19 years ago um we were part of a large french bakery group called harry's um we became independent at that point and that's where i really thought right this is it this is a chance for me to lead this business it's mm. established so um and that gave me some security because having done a startup and knowing all the difficulties that entails buying into an established business for me personally felt more comfortable because i could see that it was already that those difficult first hard yards um had been done there was right. a good team of people around me. Um, I'd worked with them for a couple of years. I could quantify that. I knew what I could bring. And um, I thought, right, you know, I can, I can help galvanize this team of people and let's see what we can do. And, and that leads us to today, probably today where uh, I think this year we've, well, this year we will go through uh, the 100 million sterling in revenue. We're profitable. Nice. Number one brioche brand in America. Um, so yeah, that's my journey. I suppose the other things that you've mentioned mentioned on the LinkedIn profile there, I do a lot of uh, charity work uh -huh. that I'm very proud of. We can talk about that in a bit. Yes. Um, and uh, the film, the film thing is a fam another family thing. My brother-in-law is a successful actor, Kellyn Jones. Uh, my wife right. is a writer, and um, he put together a film back in 2016 with uh, about Dylan Thomas. Um, my wife's family are Welsh and uh, Dylan Thomas was a world famous Welsh poet and he mm -hmm. put this film script together, got a great cast together, Elijah Wood from Lord of the Rings and so an investor pulled out and uh, my brother-in-law came to me and said, look, I've got everything ready to go, but an investor's pulled out and I can't make the film. And mm -hmm. he literally had 
Elijah Wood getting on a plane the next, the following week. So um, I said to my wife, look, it's family. Why don't we just invest and make this happen and help to build another business? And that's what we did. We stepped in and invested. And um, it's, it's, it's Kelly, my brother-in-law's business, but he's, he's gone on to do great things. He's, mm. he's won the Welsh BAFTA for Best Male Actor. He's made, we've made films with uh, Gerard Butler, The Vanishing, yeah. um, Diane Keaton, Poms. Uh, there's one coming out with Judy Dench this year, Six Minutes to Midnight. And we're just uh, starting to work on a new film with Rebel Wilson. Um, wow. Um, I mean, you said, next year, so. You said, you said it yourself, it, you said it was about opportunity. So that, that was another opportunity right in front of you. It is, that's right. And sometimes the opportunity isn't necessarily for yourself, it's for somebody mm. else. And I think if you can facilitate that as well in your life, um, that's a wonderful thing. It's very fulfilling to, to actually somebody, help somebody else to realize their dreams. And I think that's, you know, that's something I've been able to facilitate in my life through my success and my work. And um, I think that's tremendously rewarding for an individual if you're able to do that, if you're able to, to give back. And um, I've got a mantra, you know, if you look on my LinkedIn, you'll see I always put hashtag you get what you give mm. and hashtag there's always a way. And um, there's always a way comes from perhaps the early part of my life where things were perhaps more difficult and more challenging. Um, and the latter one is, is probably the, the later part of my life, which is, you know, I think if you give a lot, you get a lot. Right. Um, and that's why, that's why I continue to give, um, because it, it comes back. And I think if you're fortunate enough that it does come back, then you should carry on giving disproportionately, I think. So I was about to ask, is it, is it why also you continue the, being an entrepreneur? Because, I mean, after 19 years of it, it's a long time, you know? It, it is a long time, but I think it, it's, I think one of the things about entrepreneurs is I think most entrepreneurs enjoy the journey and the challenge. So it's not so much the destination, it's, it's more the journey. And I think the journey that we've had in, the, in this, you know, in this business, San Pierre Group has been incredible. At each stage, it's been interesting. It's been exciting. It's been challenging. Mm. It's been all of those things and continues to be. Um, and I think that's, you know, you'll have heard many times, I'm sure from other entrepreneurs, resilience. Yes. Um, you do need buckets of resilience. And, and that was really forged when my father lost his business. You know, you, you have that galling experience. And uh, I know that's what forged me. Mm. Uh, it's, that, it's that fear of, of that happening to your family. And fortunately, I've been able to, to look after my, all of my family and extended family as a result of my success. So I think that that drives me on, you know, it continues to drive me. Um, I love seeing people's lives change as a result of success. Mm. Um, and, and that can come in many forms. It can come in their personal success. It can come in charitable work where you're able to step in and put your arms around a group of people or an individual and help lift them because of your charitable work. Um, so I think there's many, many different ways to that, that, that success can be leveraged perhaps right. and put to good use. And I think that's becoming more pertinent now with, with companies. I think, you know, we're all seeing the, the period we've just been through. Mm -hmm. um, companies realizing that your social responsibility is, it used to be a thing that was a bit, you know, CSR or big companies do it, but nobody was really giving it the due 
respect it deserved. Now I think companies really have to have to look at that very seriously, yeah. uh, and 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 really ask themselves a question: Are we good for the you know good for people? Yeah. Good for the planet? There's so many angles now you have to consider. I think if 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 you're of the right mindset, they're not considerations. You actually believe in them anyway. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've worked with Mark Wood, who's a polar explorer. Uh, and I took that decision personally because he's, uh, he's an educator and, uh, you know, he's been up Everest and to the North Pole and the South Pole. He works with the scout movement. Uh, and what he does is he connects with children um, around the world. And I found him incredibly inspiring as a character. So I, me and my wife decided to support his endeavors to publicize what he's doing, because what he's doing is actually helping to educate children about our planet and what we're doing to our planet. Um, and right. I think that's incredibly important to, to inspire future generations about the planet we live on. We've only got one. And mm-hmm. Mark goes into these extraordinary environments, films it, and, and talks to children while he's there live, you know, through Skype and, and through Microsoft and collaborations with them. And I think that's incredibly important. Mm-hmm. You know, I think if uh, if we as a business are able to, uh, I, I've done that personally, but I think whether it's a business or, or whether it's a, an individual, I think you can make those decisions as an entrepreneur. Uh, and that's why I believe entrepreneurs are good. You know, everybody, sometimes we get a terrible press because, you mm. know, Profit can be a dirty word. I think, you know, I think profit's very important. Without that, you can't go on to do some of these great things that I've been able to do and other entrepreneurs do, mm-hmm. which are genuinely helpful, useful, um, practical and inspiring, all in the same same breath. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that, that mean, continues to get me out of bed in the morning. I mean, I, I totally agree with you. I've been talking to, I think now, around like 40 entrepreneurs on, on this podcast. And there is one yeah. word that keeps on coming back is impact. None of the entrepreneurs yes. I talked to have done have, have become an entrepreneur for the money. They became entrepreneurs because of they want to have an impact, what whatever whatever it is. And it's exactly what you're talking about. And I guess and I guess you're taking it a step further with with the charity work you've been doing, right? Yes, I mean the, the charity. I've always been charitable even when I was a student you know and I didn't have much I always believed in helping your your your, your fellow human on the planet and um, I think I'm uh, I think I think it's incredibly important actually I've, I've been involved in setting up three charities um, one is called Atlantic Pacific mm. um, which helps um, it was a uh, guy Robin who, who was um, a friend of my uh, brother-in-law's and uh, if you remember during the Libyan conflict people were taking boats across the Med- Mediterranean and the boats yeah. were sinking because yes. it was run by criminals and there was a picture of a, a small boy being brought out of the water on a, on a Greek beach yeah. Yeah. and uh, he had a little Thomas the Tank Engine um, t-shirt on and I had two young sons at the time and that that affected me. I'll be honest mm. with you. I couldn't. I couldn't look at that picture and think to myself, "I'm just going to look at that and, and scroll on." I, I, I had to do something. I thought I can do something, and I'm going to do something. And, and Robin um, was introduced to me, and he was setting up a charity to put um, 
basically boats out into the Mediterranean that could launch from shore very quickly, get out into the water very quickly and get back to shore um, because people were dying in the water. Even though mm. it's the Mediterranean, they'd only have a couple of minutes in the water, which is indeed what happened to that little boy. Um, and we were able to support um, buying um, three boats, I think we bought now. Um, and I roped in some other friends of mine, Philip Edge from Edge Logistics, who donated a shipping container. Robin went on to do um, shipping containers that hold an outboard boat mm -hmm. and also a medical center. And the reason it's in a shipping container is because it, it can be picked up, put on a boat and taken out to um, uh, an area that's maybe had a natural disaster very quickly. So that uh, that charity has developed over the years and I'm incredibly proud of, of, of that charity. Uh, RapAid is a, a second charity that I've set up with a friend of mine, uh, Alex Chivers, who was in the British Special Forces. He was a school friend of mine. From, mm -hmm. He was my first friend at school. And he always said to me, uh, I'm going to be in the Special Forces. I didn't even know what that was when I was. <laughs> but he came from a military family and uh, he had a very... Uh, illustrious career in, in, the, in the special forces. And he came to me with an idea about um, emergency bandages, which they use on the battlefield, which hold a significant amount, amount of blood if there's mm. been a, a, you know, bomb blast or whatever. And he said to me, I don't know why these bandages aren't available to the public in anywhere. He said, because they can save lives and mm. stabbings. You know, we know that there's in the UK, there's a problem with stabbings. There's, there's terrorism. There's all sorts of reasons. I mean, an old lady falling down the stairs in a, in a shopping center, you know, is, is, is difficult. And she, you know, they, people can bleed to death very quickly. Mm. So it's it, RapAid is about putting these bandages out into the public space. Um, we started it as a business, actually, but we realized about a year in this needs to be a charity. And so we've converted it into a charity. Um, and uh, of course, COVID hit then, so everything's slowed down a bit, but uh, we're using the time to get the um, charity set up properly. It's all set up now, um, but we're getting the marketing set up. And basically what we're gonna do is approach, approach businesses and say, look, you could do this as part of your corporate social responsibility. Right. When you see how simple these bandages are to apply, to apply they can literally be applied by a child um, and they can save a life. So right. we donated about, uh, I think it was about 5,000 bandages to uh, taxis in Manchester because taxis are everywhere. So, um, so we donated uh, bags of four bandages to um, a load of taxis in Manchester mm. so that, that you know if a driver sees an accident or somebody in trouble and they're bleeding they can get out and help apply bandage quite simply and then the San Pierre group as well we also support charities fair share mm. uh, in San Pierre group this year we, we stepped up because we've been able to benefit from um, COVID in the sense that you know people are buying our products more food products um, we make lovely bakery products and people in a, in a recession or a difficult period tend to retreat to comfort food which is mm. we do very nice comfort foods brands saint pierre baker street and paul hollywood uh, and they've done very very well so we felt it was important that we gave some of that back we've donated over a over a million dollars worth of food basically in the past nine months wow. both here and in the usa to various 
um, organisations, first responders, hospitals, charities who are, who are out there helping people who are in difficulty. So, um, so yeah, incredibly proud of all of those things, really. And, uh, you know, it, uh, I think probably in the future, that'd be something that I focus on more and more in my mm -hmm. life. Um, and uh, you seem to be a very busy man. So what does a, yeah. a typical day look like for you? A typical day has changed for me in the right. past nine months. Obviously, I, a typical day would have been um, probably getting on an airplane and flying off to Paris or the US and uh, and, and doing my business, you know, um, on, the, on the hoof, basically. Mm. Uh, now it's very different, actually. Um, so my day now is... Um, I probably get to the office at about 10, 10, 30, um, mm -hmm. because I deal with America. I'll be in the office probably until seven or eight in the evening. Um, I'm finding that because I've been working in the US for the past five years, it's quite a novelty for my team here who know me to, to have me around. Um, so I, I do spend a lot of time talking um, with the team, motivating the team. Mm -hmm. um, we've actually recruited 30 people during lockdown. Our, our team prior to lockdown was about 30. We're now, I think, 62. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we've doubled the team in, in nine months because of the growth we're experiencing. So I've, I've found myself in the, in the past um, nine months spending a lot more time with new people who are starting in the business, talking to them about the business and what they're going to be doing and, and supporting them and giving them time um and helping to coach them on you know on board our business so um so yeah it's that's that's a typical day i eat lunch uh in the cafe with the team here um the afternoon typically i'll be uh, on the phone to america probably mm -hmm. from about 2 p.m um you know we're, that's all changed during covid obviously we can't go to america so um the the, the rate of change in our business has been um breathtakingly quick uh, to the extent that our boardroom is now like a, a recording studio um, and what we're doing is presenting to our customers almost like a tv show we're putting that right. kind of production value into it because i mean as you probably know laurel people i think are quite tired of technology at the moment and mm -hmm. yeah a lot of people don't put their cameras on um, they're sat in their back bedroom. It can be quite mm. draining to be on technology all day long. Yeah. So what we're doing is, is we decided to, to make that more interesting for the viewer, our customers, by putting literally TV news production values into our customer presentations. Um, so that's been a huge mm. evolution for our business. So, you know, I've been working with um, our marketing team um, hugely over the past uh, nine months to, to really upskill the team and bring in new people with those skills and really leverage that um, that opportunity really yeah again an opportunity and again you're talking about you know yeah. you, were, you were referring to you continuing being an entrepreneur because you have to you, you you have to deal with challenges well that's a great that's a great example yeah all the time i mean it's the, the you know there's challenges but it can still be fun and exciting yeah. and i th i think the period of time that we're living through, I think I said this to you before we started recording, finding joy is really tough right now. And that, that's where even I'm having to dig deep in terms yeah. of my resilience reserves. I don't think I've ever been as challenged as, uh, as I am at the moment. I, I think mm. my co-founder Jeremy would probably beg to differ on that point probably say I'm <laughs> challenged all the time in many different ways but <laughs> but um no it is it is you know and I think I think you've got to look out for people 
um, you, you've, you've got to use your emotional intelligence, which I think yeah. is incredibly important for, for entrepreneurs. Um, and I think in the future, that's going to become more important as well. Um, you know, the, the ability to, to actually read people and situations mm. and what you need to do to benefit people um, and give people time. You know, I think, I think that's incredibly important um, at, at the moment. Yeah, uh, the fun, the fun bit. I, I walked into. I'll give you a very quick anecdote. I walked into the uh, <laughs> into the marketing department a few weeks ago, and I said to them, "I want to get the Rock, you know, um, yeah. Dwayne Johnson. Yeah, he's got two hundred and three million followers on Instagram, and he and he does French toast every weekend on his Instagram, and he's a great character. He's he's you know he's he, he, I think he's a, a great inspiration. The Rock." He, you know, he mm -hmm. does a lot of great work and he's a fun guy. And uh, I threw this at the marketing team, not thinking that anything would come of it. And uh, Grace and uh, Titoan and some of the team there, uh, they went after it and they, they managed to get a post reposted by The Rock to his followers within three weeks. Nice. I was just blown away. I was just blown away by this. It was just like, you know, and, and they did a great film of, um, our brioche product being made into the product that um, that um, the rock does, which is a, a tequila infused mm -hmm. French toast. Sounds crazy, but it's it's very very <laughs> lovely to eat. And, and he reposted it, so I think that gave um, the team here a really big boost. Um, it was something extraordinary. I never thought it would happen. I don't yeah. think they did actually, but I think sometimes as an entrepreneur, you 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 lay down the gauntlet on something. And I think that's one of the satisfying things, seeing how that can lift a team of people at a, at a point in time where they really need a lift. You know, everybody needs a little lift right now. And so I think being able to just throw that sort of thing out there and then see what people do, it's incredibly satisfying actually mm. to, to, you know, to see how that sort of, um, thing can, can impact people and can improve you know probably what's quite a, a tricky period for all of us let's be honest it's not easy so mm. so yeah i think having that fun element as well and just just not losing that that joyful aspect of 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 your working life i think that's incredibly important i think if you're leading a business you've got to have your eye on that sort of thing is that is that what it means to be a leader it's it's one thing um I think in terms of leadership, it, it can be, you know, it can, it can be quite, it can be quite lonely when you're leading because you get faced with those um, challenges. So sometimes, frankly, you don't know what to do. Yeah. And that's where you have to sort of, you know, lean back into your team and say, look, we, we've got to try and do this. We don't know how to do it, but mm. you put your heads together, you come up with the answer and then typically, you know, as a leader, you're probably going to, I always think you've got to lead from the front. You've got to be inspirational. Um, mm. You've got to be pioneering. You've got to be brave. You've got to be bold. Uh, you've got to be humble. Um, you've got to know when to push um, and when to take your foot off the gas and go to the back of the team and help the, perhaps the, the, the member of your team who's struggling the most not to struggle and, and put your arms around and bring them up as well. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that sort of motivational bit, um, you know, and helping all of the team, inspiring them and being approachable, not being judgmental, but still having that pioneering target that 
that helps to galvanize your team and, and lead them to, to sort of things that they probably thought they could never achieve, quite frankly. Um, yeah, right. I, th I think all of, the, all of those things in, in leadership are, are important. I think this period we're in now, I think most leaders have been challenged because um, companies are trying to survive. People are trying to avoid uh, deadly viruses, just hanging around an in, invisible, insidious thing that's, you know, ev affecting everybody and everything. Mm -hmm. So it, it does permeate into how you approach your your working life uh, or in your life in general, perhaps probably right. broader than that. You, you've been in a, in a business for, well, having this business for more than 18 years, I think you said now you went from 30 yeah. staff to 60 to 62. Have you seen a change in your leadership skills? <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, yeah, there's, I, I think, you know, you asked me earlier, what do you do in a typical day? Yeah. In a typical day now, I spend more time talking to people about how they're doing, what are they working on, is there anything I can do to help them, and just giving them time. Mm. That's that's had to that that's had to change the way I operate. I, I have to organise myself so that perhaps towards the end of a day, I'll do my work, I'll get my emails done, and and what I do and what I need to do because. Of, between 5 p.m. and 8 p.m. there's less people in the office there's you know so I, that's where I get my stuff done during the day I, I now find myself I leave myself enough time to get around and talk to people you know we've got a, a new starter here today a designer has just started so mm. you know straight after this call I'll be going and sitting and have a cup of coffee with him and welcome him into the company and you know make sure he's got everything he needs and of course you've you've got you've got managers and and people who are doing that as well but I think it's important as a, a leader of the business actually to be seen and not to yeah. be in some ivory tower but to actually talk to people and just listen to them and and, and connect with them basically and, and mm. bring them into the business in the right way and they also need to understand your motivations and what you think and how you see things and and it's a two-way conversation then it's not a one-way conversation which is right this is your job and this is what you have to do. It's it's more of a two-way conversation, I think, in, in terms of what are your ambitions and what's, what's, your, what's your background? And, you know, are you excited about what, what, what we're going to work on? And I'm excited to hear, you know, that person's ideas. I'm always mm -hmm. excited to hear our team's ideas. And uh, so I think, yeah, it has changed. To answer your question, it has changed my, my leadership style. Um, probably the past five years I've been driving. I've been pioneering out in the US and you know really forging um forging our growth into that market um now I've got a team here to to actually take take that over and take it to the next level so that requires a different skill set actually yeah. uh, and a different a different uh, approach really um, which I think you uh, as you as you get older and you, you go through your life you see that you know I've worked in enough businesses to know there's times when you've got to do and there's times when you've got to lead uh, and, you know, times when you've got to sort of take stock a bit and retrench and mm -hmm. you know, all, all those things. I, I think you learn, you know, I continue to learn an incredible amount um, every day, really. What have you recently learned? Well, you know, that's, that's funny because uh, I think you, when we first spoke, Laura, you posed me a question and uh, what are you good at? And, you know, I really struggled with that question. And I thought, God, what am I good at? And and so that might seem a bit 
disingenuous to people who are, to to your, your listeners but it's not something i sit and ponder on you know i, mm. I just get on with stuff um but yeah it's um perhaps i've learned a lot of things during this period actually which is um probably my work-life balance and i'm sure a lot of entrepreneurs would say this is, is mm-hmm. probably out of kilter um i've been able to to, to sort of I've been forging for, for five years and just getting stuff done. Um, whereas actually this period made me slow down. It grounded me quite literally. Um, yeah. And I realized I couldn't, I couldn't continue to do it all. The business was too big. And, and subsequently we went on to employ about 32 people. So we've created, you know, the great thing is we created 32 jobs during COVID, um, which is great news. You know, I'm, I'm really proud of that because uh, we're going to need businesses who are creating jobs and taxpayers mm-hmm. to, to pay for this lot. <laughs> so um, what else have I learned? Probably, I, I probably need to spend more time at home, frankly. Yeah. Um, when you, when you, I think a lot of people have probably resonate with this when, when I say that when you're in the eye of the storm and you're, you're forging and pioneering, you just crack on. And sometimes you don't stop to look at the collateral damage that you're creating around you. Um, by not being there, mm. you know, not being at home, not being with your family. And uh, I've learned that, that that's something that I'm uh, working on right now. And I, I, I can tell you straight, I won't be going back to, to doing the sort of punishing routine that I had before, because mm-hmm. it's, it's not, it's not beneficial. But I think, I think a lot of entrepreneurs could probably relate to that. Sometimes as an entrepreneur, you have to be quite single-minded. Um, it's not a great, um, character trait really but I think most entrepreneurs know that you do have to be single-minded to to, to get to get to where you want to be really yeah. and, and then I suppose it, it's it, it's perhaps taking time to stop and say well actually I've, that period's over now that that's achieved now what we got to do is move it into a different phase so that's what I've learned I've learned that I, I probably need to hand over to other people now mm-hmm. and um not step back. I'm not talking about stepping back or slowing down, but just retrenching in a different way. You know, I won't rush to get on a plane. Let's put it that right. way. You know, I would literally, I would literally get on a plane and be gone to the U.S. for a one-hour meeting because it would be important. Um, now I would do it like this, Laura. Quite frankly, so that saves me three days out of the office, three days out of my home, my family mm. life, and I think, I think that's a that's a learning for me definitely fascinating conversation if you had one recommendation you would give to entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs what would it be i think it would be enjoy the journey mm. and not the destination the journey is much longer and the journey is much bigger and it's 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 much more important and it's every day so i think enjoying the journey i think a lot of entrepreneurs are so focused on you know got to get to there got to got to get to that peak and when, when you get to that peak you're naturally already looking at the next peak mm-hmm. and you're onwards and upwards and onwards and upwards and building and growing and broadening and all these things but sometimes you don't actually stop and look at the view mm. um and i remember somebody when i started I, you know i've been fortunate to go skiing over the years and i remember an instructor saying to me once we you know we we're going down this mountain and he just stopped and uh I said, why are we stopping? Because we were going quite fast and I was quite enjoying it. He said, because sometimes, Paul, you just need to stop and look at the view. Yeah. 
And when I did stop and look at the view, it was a breathtaking view of the Alps. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was very, uh, very interesting, actually. And I think it's, it's relevant to an entre entrepreneur's journey to, to stop and just just take it in for a minute because most entrepreneurs don't do that. And I'm, I'm guilty of that as well. True. Um, so I think my recommendation is that enjoy the journey, um, you know, and uh, I suppose my rider would be make sure you're using your emotional intelligence because I think it's highly undervalued at the moment. And I think in the future, that's going to become far more important for entrepreneurs. Yes. So my, my show is uh, called Cracking the Entrepreneurship Code. So here's my yes. question. Have you cracked the code? I think there's, there's so much stuff out there now that you <laughs> can read and see. I think, I think it's, there's some great people out there who are really inspirational. Mm. And, but it's quite, even in my, you know, my position, it's quite bewildering. Sometimes you go on LinkedIn or Instagram and it's, there's so many people giving so many inspirational quotes about ways to do it and all, all the rest of it. Yeah. Have I cracked, have I cracked the code? Well, yeah, I suppose I have. If you look at it from a, perhaps a fiscal viewpoint. Yes. Yes. I've cracked it. No, no question about that. Um, personally, no. Mm. Why? Because I think, I think there's many facets to an entrepreneur and uh, there's still things I want to do. There's still things I want to realize. Um, and uh, they're probably for the future. So I'm, I haven't cracked that bit yet. I've, I've cracked a few peaks, I suppose, mm. would be, you know, but, um, but there's many more peaks to go, but how I go about getting to those peaks will be different to how I've got to the peak that I'm at at the moment. Does that make sense? It does. Completely makes yeah. sense, yes. Yeah, so I think it that's an evolution, really. Yeah. All right. Well, it was a fascinating conversation, Paul. I'm sorry I have to uh, cut it uh, short now for one last question. How can people contact you? Um, I'm, I'm actually off of social media, but I'm on LinkedIn. Um, hmm. So LinkedIn is, is the place to see me. Um, I try and put out um, stuff that we're doing in the business. I try, I do put out, I don't put out too much of my charity work or my film work on LinkedIn. I've got to be honest, I try and keep those separate. Um, occasionally I put out the charity work that I'm doing, but I, I try and balance that a little bit. Um, but yeah, LinkedIn, that's, that's where you can get hold of me. I'm, I'm pretty easy to contact. And um, I don't, yeah, I'm sure you can, you can publish my email. I've got no problem yes. with that, Laura, if, if you want to. Um, yeah, that's the only one I'm on really. All right. Well, again, thank you very much, Paul, for your time. Laura, it's been great to talk to you and thank you very much for the opportunity. And thank you all for listening. If you like this episode, write a nice review and share it on social media so we can inspire as many entrepreneurs and inspiring entrepreneurs as possible. See you next time. Bye-bye.